Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to a PCF podcast. We believe listening to the Word of God will change your life. God bless you as you continue listening to this podcast. Thank you. Good morning. How are we doing? Are we cheery? Do we have Christmas cheer? This is my attempt to make the place look Christmassy, and uh, up to about an hour ago, I had a Santa's hat, which I have conveniently misplaced, so I don't have to wear it. Um, Christmas is coming, and uh, perhaps you feel like me that the build-up to Christmas is getting earlier and earlier each year. And I'm sure back in August I saw signs outside of pubs advertising Christmas Day lunch. But now on the uh, 10th of December, I think it's the right time to celebrate Christmas. And it's the right time to get excited. Or the right time to, not to celebrate. Well, we are celebrating now, aren't we? But it's the right time to build up and, and we can feel the buzz of Christmas. And Christmas is the time we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, the hope for the whole world. And each year, we celebrate this first coming of Jesus whilst waiting for his second coming. In the first coming, he came as the humble, suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah. But in his second coming, he's returning as the reigning king in all his glory. Is that a big amen? And we'll be coming back to that towards the end of this talk. But maybe you agree with me that Christmas can be a time of stress and distractions. What do you think? Oh, no, it is. (laughs) Well, for me, it is. (laughs) We've got Christmas trees. We've got Christmas pudding, Christmas lunch, get the turkey right. We've got families, family members, families coming out of the cupboards, people we haven't seen all year and we have to entertain. We've got uh, office Christmas parties, eating, eating, more eating, overindulging. And a lot of excitement, a lot of stress, and sometimes a lot of anxiety, a lot of social pressure. We've been talking about having Jesus in the center of this circle and pressing in. But what if, in the excitement of the season, Christmas is in the center of the circle and we're pressing into Christmas and Christmas is is pushing Jesus outside of the circle? Do you think there's a danger? So let's put Jesus in the center of our lives this Christmas. And not just for Christmas, but for life. Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas or Easter, literally for life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is life-giving. And when we have Jesus at the center of this circle and Christmas on the outside, our focus changes. We see what he's done for mankind. We see how we can share his love with others in the season. And we see his great love and sacrifice for us. We see the joy of giving and blessing others in the season and beyond. 
So today, I'd like to talk to you about pressing into Jesus so much that Jesus is at the epicenter of our entire universe this Christmas and beyond. Now, if truth be told, this might be an aspirational talk to some degree. Jesus being the true epicenter of our lives might be aspirational because it's difficult, it's tricky, you know. At times we get distracted, we struggle with the flesh. There's a battle going on between our flesh and our spirit, the flesh and the spirit, and it's meant to be difficult. But Jesus should be at the epicenter of our entire universe. And he should not revolve and orbit around us we should revolve an orbit around him. Amen. Today I'm going to highlight five changes out of many that happen to us when Jesus is truly at the center of our lives, our existence, and our universe. Number one, our prayers change. They change focus. Now, there's nothing wrong with making our requests known to God. In fact, Jesus teaches that when we pray, we should ask for our daily bread, which is praying for our provision, our supply box. But that should not be the entire focus of our prayers, perhaps. You see, we can press in in our prayers, and we can be Christ-centered in our prayers, because he's at the center. And then, perhaps we'll see our prayers shift. Perhaps they'll change from, Lord, please give me. Lord, please do for me. Perhaps I'll move from this to include, Lord, how? Lord, show me. Lord, how can I glorify you today? Show me. Lord, show me how to proclaim your name today. How to serve you, Lord. Our prayers change to Jesus-centered prayers. Praying in the fear, the awe of God. And our prayers can shift and become more centered on glorifying him. I thought it would be interesting to look at... um, One of Paul's prayers. How did he pray? This is Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. Um, 14, he begins, When I think of all of this, you see, he was pleading with the Ephesians not to be discouraged by the terrible trials and tribulations that they'd seen him go through for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. This is worship. Biblically, worship involves some kind of bowing down, a submission. So this is worship. He prays to the Father, Father, verse 15, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. This is praying in the fear and the awe of God, praying to God for who he is, the creator of all. Verse 16, he says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He's praying for the brethren. He's praying for their provision. 
And verse 17 is golden. This is golden. We should all go home and write this down and put it above the kettle. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. This is the definition of a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we trust him, he makes his home in our hearts. It's a process, an ongoing process. He's praying for the brethren, his brothers and sisters, to have an ongoing relationship with Christ. And he continues, your roots will grow down into God's love as you develop this relationship. So we can learn from Paul here that our prayers should glorify God. And we should pray for each other and God's provision. And that praying to the Lord is to know him, to be in relationship with him, and to grow in him. Is that a big amen? Amen. So number two, our ambitions and our dreams change as we press in and have Jesus at the center. Before we came to Christ, we no doubt had worldly ambitions and dreams. Maybe we wanted to be a doctor, a dentist, a carpenter, a pop star, or maybe we just wanted to be filthy rich. But Psalm 37.4, very famous verse, and slightly mysterious. It says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now hold on a minute. He'll give me my heart's desires. Brilliant. Does this mean, if I follow the Lord with all joy and obedience, he will give me a large mansion with a swimming pool? An iPhone, iPhone 15, where are we up to? 15? An iPhone 20? <laughs> Have we got to 20 yet? 15. A BMW? Earthly riches and glory? Well, I want to say no, but you know what? It depends. I mean, if those are God's desires for me to somehow fulfill a ministry to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ across the world and I really need a BMW because it's a trustworthy car, then maybe. But probably not. You see, the Lord can bless us in many ways, but that's not what this verse is about. The literal translation here is God puts his desires on our hearts and our hearts align with his, therefore. So here are some examples of our new wants and desires. Now uh, we have Jesus at the epicenter with God's desires on our hearts. Now I want to glorify God. I want to glorify Jesus. I want to give generously. I want to tell everyone the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. I want the unsaved to be saved. I want to wake up each morning, Lord, Holy Spirit, and follow your lead. I want you to take me places where I thought I'd never go for you to spread your word. These are my new dreams. These are my new ambitions to serve the Lord every day, to wake up in his joy and to go where he wants to take me and to pray for courage to do what he wants me to do to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to spread the good news of Jesus. Is that a big amen? Amen. 
Number three, we're getting more tangible now. What we watch, read, and listen to changes. What we put into our minds changes when we have Jesus at the epicenter of our universe. If you came to Christ as an adult, you may have years and years behind you of watching things on TV and at the cinema that now you wish you hadn't. There's something about television, it imprints images on your brain. I've seen things that I just can't shake off and I know they'll probably always be there, these intrusive images from the past that I've seen in horror films, etc. And I have to call on Jesus each time to distract me and take control of my mind. You may have read books, listened to music that now you wouldn't. And we all seem, as believers in Christ, we all seem to have our own personal standards on these things based on our convictions. I came to Jesus eight, nine years ago and uh, it was a shock to be, to be confronted with this new Christian culture. It was uh, very different for me. And I've got memories of being at dinner parties with um, my new brothers and sisters in Christ. And someone would say, oh, on Saturday I went to see that film, Tarantino, blah, blah, blah. And then someone else would lean over and say, you know, I'm not sure you should really be watching that. I think as Christians we shouldn't watch that kind of thing. And then a couple more people would chip in and say, no, it's okay, we have God's grace, we, we follow our conscience. And I realised that as Christians we each have our own standards of what we watch on television and see at the cinema. And you know what? I don't want to knock that because I could give you a good biblical argument for following our conscience. But I do want to say that there is a problem. There's a problem with this. You see, Paul has already set the standard of what we should put into our minds and it's incredibly high. It's here in Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honourable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of Praise, this is very important. Please, can you repeat it? It will make me feel better. Worthy of praise. So this standard is very high. Let's ask ourselves, is what we are putting into our minds meeting this standard? Is it true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, admirable? Is it worthy of praise? Imagine this scenario. You watch something uh, on TV you think you shouldn't. You ignore those initial convictions and gripes in your spirit. Give it 15 minutes and you're enjoying it with no convictions whatsoever. You're having fun and you keep on watching it happy as Larry. Next week when episode 2 comes out, you watch it again because you remember watching it last week. And then it goes on and on. So let us follow Paul's standard here in Philippians 4.8. Let's seek that which is worthy of praise to the Lord. In Romans 14, Paul says that 
If you do something without faith, then it is a sin. So it's the same thing here. If we do something which we can praise the Lord for, then it's not a sin, because we're doing it in faith. That's the test. If you can't give thanks to God for what you're watching, reading, listening to, then it is a sin, and it's best for us to stop. Number four. We're getting serious. With Jesus at the epicenter, we imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is interesting. You see, as children, we imitated our parents, then our friends in the schoolyard, and then possibly now we imitate our wives, husbands, and family members to a degree. But with Christ at the epicenter of our very existence, we start to imitate him. And others will imitate us imitating him. And that's why Paul writes, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. It's a loop. You see, we live a lifestyle showing others the love that Christ showed us in his ministry and through his finished work on the cross. And that lifestyle we live affects other people. They imitate us and they come to imitate Christ. Is that an amen? Here's the biggest amen. You ready for this one? Number five. Now we're crucial. If we have Jesus truly at the epicenter of our existence, then we truly love him. And we await his appearing. I say appearing here, alluding to the second coming of Christ. I'm referring to the Greek word parousia, which means his presence, his arrival at the second coming of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. However... In all sense and purposes, Christ will appear for you either straight after you die or when he comes in his second coming, whichever happens first. So I want to tell you today, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. Titus 2, 11 to 13, it gives some context about waiting for Jesus to come on our Christian walk. For the grace of God has appeared... The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We have our salvation in Christ, We believe in Jesus, that he died for our sins and we're saved by his blood. But we also have our blessed hope. The blessed hope is the promise that Jesus is coming again. And this Christmas, as we celebrate his first coming, let's not take our eyes off his second coming. You can see that this, previous, uh, this point here is connected to imitating Christ in a way. You see, with Jesus at the uh, epicenter of our very existence, we seek his face more than words. Um, we await him. I mean, we want to see him. 
We love him. We want him to come more than anything else. And this fact changes the way we live now. So there is fruit from waiting for Jesus' second coming. And there should be fruit and good fruit. Whilst waiting for him, we want to be ready. We want to be found faithful. Ephesians 5 says, Jesus is coming back for a church washed in his word. We want to be godly. We want to be obedient. In Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus told his disciples, Watch therefore, for you do, know not, you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. So his coming, in some way, his imminence. When he returns, what will he find us doing? What will he find in our cupboards? What will he find in our DVD collection? Uh, sorry, I'm old-fashioned. Uh, how can I replace that? What will he find in our Netflix already watched list or something? Is that, does that work? What will he find on our bookshelves? Which book will be open on the dining room table? What will he find on our hearts and in our minds? You see, with Jesus at the epicenter of our universe, we want to be ready like the bride is ready for the groom. She doesn't know the day or the hour he is coming to take her tent, that the groom is coming to take her away on the back of his horse to his father's house. But she's there in the tent, dressed with oil in her lamp, all ready to go. She knows the season. She knows it's imminent. He is coming. True story. An American pastor visits a children's psychiatric hospital. And he's being shown round by the director. And he notices on the windows there are all these grubby children's handprints like on the windows. He, go past one, he goes past one window and thinks, oh, that's strange. He goes past another, sees all these prints again, and he thinks, don't they wash the windows in this place? And all over the building, grubby children's mitts, handprints on the windows. So he, he says to the director, what, what are these um, handprints on the windows? And the director says, ah, the children here love Jesus so much that they all gather around the windows and press up against it, looking up to see if Jesus is coming on the clouds. What would you give for that kind of faith? Jesus talks about that kind of faith. Jesus said, let the little children come to me for the kingdom of heaven is for such as these. Jesus said that we won't enter the kingdom of God unless we enter like a child. We need that kind of faith. When I came to Christ eight, nine years ago, I very quickly fell into very dry, deep theology. And I love it. It's my hobby. But I want my work to be that kind of faith. Is that a big amen? Here's the takeaway from today. With Christ truly at the epicenter of our universe, we find ourselves living a new lifestyle. 
It's a lifestyle of flooding our minds with thoughts of Christ so nothing else can get in. It's a lifestyle, a lifestyle of immersing ourselves in his word, the Bible. And like it says in the book of James, doing it, living it out. It's a lifestyle of praying without ceasing, which means persistently. Jesus taught if you pray persistently, the Father has to answer. It's a lifestyle of praising God for who he is. It's a lifestyle of following his commands. This is not a very fashionable thing to say in the modern evangelical church, I've noticed. But we need to follow Jesus' commands. Jesus said it time and time again, follow my commands. And the writers of the New Testament, Peter, James, Paul, John, others, they all kept coming back to following Jesus' commands. There are many of them. I counted them once, but they can be summed up with two. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love others as or more than yourself. The two statements which sum up the law of Moses also sums up Jesus' commands for us today in this period of this dispensation of grace. We want to spend more time in the Lord's presence in this new lifestyle at church, and in our quiet times with the Lord. We want to spend our finances on true change for God's kingdom. We want to be a blessing to others. And instead of being so me, me, me focused, we look at the fruit of the Spirit and press into the Holy Spirit to work on patience, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, What I'm talking about here is no less than the whole new relationship with Jesus Christ. It's radical. Can you repeat that? It'll make me feel good. It's radical. We're meant to be radical. Do you know that? We're not meant to fit in. We're meant to be radical. A new relationship with Christ means a new relationship with sin. And I know that sounds surprising. But what is true and real now reveals what are lies and false. We will now be brought to repentance for our sins more and more, being renewed in our mind each time to become more like Jesus Christ. So our new lifestyle in Christ brings about holiness through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We become more like Jesus Christ each day. Is that exciting? And it starts, it starts with this. This new relationship, this radical new relationship starts with saying, let's not be lukewarm for Jesus. Let's not be lukewarm with Jesus. Let's not follow Jesus part-time. And ask, is it really okay to be half with him because of his grace. I say no. His his grace doesn't work that way. No, it isn't. But let me put it another way. He loved us first. We now love him. We want to be all in. Amen? Amen. A lot of amens in today's sermon. Let's keep, keep the amens going. We want to be on fire for Jesus. We want to be obedient to him. Because he died for our sins. He shed his precious blood to cleanse us of our sins. Because he was raised on the third day. Because of this greatest gift in the universe. 
We want Jesus to be at the epicenter of our universe, the very one he created. Now, the big last, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. We'll all give and receive gifts this Christmas. If you're watching online or you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you that the very greatest gift in the universe has already been given to you. Will you receive it this Christmas? It's the gift of eternal life with Jesus. Why do we need eternal life with Jesus? Why do we need saving? Why do we need a redeemer? Well, you see, we're all sinners. And God's standard is absolute perfection. Even if the only sin you ever committed was that little white lie you told your mum when you were six years old when she asked you if you'd cleaned your room, even if that was the only thing you ever did wrong, you still miss God's perfect standard to stand before him. You have to be perfect to stand before God. But we can't be perfect. Look at us. I mean, this world is falling off a cliff edge. How can we be perfect? We can't. That's why we need Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice. If you can believe that Jesus was the Son of God and God, that the Creator stepped down, he came down from his heavenly throne and stepped into his creation to become one of us. If you believe that he went to the cross to die for our sins and that his perfect precious blood that he shed on that cross covers us of our sins and washes us as white as snow, if you believe that he died, he was buried and then he rose again, so one day we will also rise to be with him for eternity. If you believe Jesus is King of Kings, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want to tell you that you've now received this greatest gift of all time and you are now saved in Christ. The Holy Spirit has sealed you for all eternity. And it would be good to pray. So can we bow our heads please quickly? Briefly, sorry. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've been distant from you. And I thank you that you came, Lord, to die for our sins, that you shed your precious blood and it cleanses us of our sins as far as east is from west. And one day, Lord, we'll stand before the Father and the Father won't see us. He won't see our sins. They'll be forgotten because he will see his son because we are covered by his blood. Thank you, Lord, you died and you rose again and you are coming back, King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. Amen.